in anything in life or anything you want to achieve in any craft world or whatever, you got to put the work. If you don't put the work, it's just not going to happen. You need to outwork everybody else. If you're a person who's heard the word no from a boss, an ex, a team that cut you, a job market that didn't want you, an accident or diagnosis that left you debilitated and depressed, or felt paralyzed by any setback that you just weren't willing to accept, this is the show for you. Because it'll teach you what my dad always taught me, that failure is just opportunity in disguise. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. Welcome back to 10,000 Knows. My guest today is Santiago Arana. And I want to tell you how uh, Santiago came to be on the show because I get a lot of people writing in saying, we love your guests. You have such a, there's a wide spectrum. You've got a lot of people in the entertainment industry, but then there are entrepreneurs and uh, all different kinds of people. And uh, this guy today, he lives in my town and... um, We had a connection. Our wives were friends. I knew his wife better than him, but I didn't know her that well either. And we, he's very successful. I did know that, but we didn't know each other. And we happened to be at a mutual friend's house at a barbecue. We started talking and he started to tell me about his morning routine. And we started to just kind of riff on some topics that are near and dear to me, kind of um, how to maximize potential, all that kind of stuff. And I thought, ha, this is a guy that from the outside, you go, man, this guy's got it all. He's got the beautiful house. He's got a beautiful family and the car and all this stuff. He's never had a tough day in his life, right? Well, we started talking and it turns out that he came to the U.S. with only $220 in his pocket and the clothes on his back, plus a few extras. He didn't speak a word of English. And the only promise he had was to stay on his aunt's couch for eight months. That's all I'm going to give you. That's why I wanted him to sit down. I wanted to hear more of it. And we kind of started talking. I said, you know what? Stop. Don't tell me too much more. Um, I want to have you on my podcast. And um, he 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 does very well in real estate. But, you know, as you know, if you've been listening to this show for any time, I'm not really impressed by someone's job title as much as I am by the way they operate, by the way they uh, conduct themselves. And Santiago, I think when you hear his, what he has to say to me and his philosophies on life, I believe you'll end up, uh, really digging this guy. He's just, um, he's a great example of, of the American dream. Really. He, uh, he came here, he had some hustle, he had some vision, he took some risks and, uh, it has worked out very well for him. Um, I do want to add before we get to the actual interview, I've been talking about this a little bit, but, uh, in January, we, launched the 10,000 No's Insiders Community. If you are interested in that, go to the link in the show notes, or you can go to 10,000nos.com, and there's a tab for Insiders Community. You get a little video. I talk about it, but uh, really, it is an opportunity for you, whether you're you know, in a creative field, you're in, it doesn't matter what field you're in, really. Again, like I'm saying about Santiago, it's more about if you have a hook into the concepts that are 
discussed on this show, you will get something from it. It is a group of accountability, a lot of great people in there, uh, filmmakers, actors, uh, writers. There's a lawyer, uh, entrepreneur. Um, there are, uh, there's a, just a real group of vibe of, of support, collaboration and accountability. So if you want to do that, it is, uh, it involves a live video call, uh, that I do with the group every Sunday. And then every month we have, um, usually a past guest or a friend come in and talk on some topic that we have, uh, decided to devote that month to. So, uh, check that out. And for now, enjoy Santiago Arana. So I was born in Bolivia from a second generation Croatian mother and a third generation Spanish father. Uh, so very European, you know, uh, customs and food and stuff. I grew up with a lot of European in Bolivia. Uh, when you know, live in Bolivia for basically my entire life before I came here. I moved here when I was 23, but uh, so I went to private university in Bolivia, studied business administration and marketing, graduated from, from business administration at the age of 22 with a major in marketing. And, you know, not how much you know about Bolivia, but it's a third world country that, you know, historically, and I mean, this happens pretty much in all the Latin countries or South American countries, all this history of corruption and, and, uh, and all the all the mess that you know they they they're up and down up and down up and down they never get out of that cycle that is is, is a vicious cycle you know my dad was a politician a very known politician he was a congressman while I was growing up when I was thirteen he was a senator uh, and then uh, you know out of the sudden the the, the opposite political team went in, in the government and you go from being at the top to not being at the top anymore and then you get prosecuted and then they you know it's just it's just very messy and then whether you are up there and you do the right thing or you are up there and you steal a bunch of money they're gonna blame it anyway you know and they're gonna they're gonna call you corrupt and all these things anyway so one of the things that uh that i observed as growing up is like that, that was definitely something that i wasn't interested on uh my dad's santiago arana like i am so anywhere that I would go to put my resume now as a 22-year-old just graduated, and they would look at my name and automatically correlate it with my dad. So in some cases helped, in some cases didn't. And uh, I did end up getting a job in La Paz, which was the capital. I used to live in Santa Cruz, which is like the tropical area where more young people live and go to college and stuff. But I moved to La Paz because that's where the government operates. And uh, and I got, a, I got a job that I was like super boring. I was like assisting as a consultant for the national statistics uh, company of the, of the country. And I remember, I'm like, is this what it's all about? I mean, I just study so much. I got good grades. I graduated at 22 instead of 23. I beat all my friends and I'm sitting at a desk and I'm like, what the hell am I going to do? I don't know what to do. How, how do I earn my money? I mean, I just like to look at these numbers and I mean, this is no fun. And as I, this is happening, you know, the country is going through a very, very interesting time. You know, there is a, there is a, the, Bolivia for until that point has been run by people that have, they call them mestizos, right? There's like the mix of the Spaniards or whoever came from other places with the indigenous. And then you have me, right? <laughs> uh, so for most part, the country was run for the minority of people, you know, like for that, call it 10%. 
And and the, at, at that point in time, there was this indigenous that ended up becoming president when I moved over here named Evo Morales, which, you know, he's known now, now for all the things that he's done, not necessarily good ones. Um, he became a congressman. He was a, uh, he was a cocaine grower, like coke grower and a, uh, in the narco traffic business, known everywhere in the world. Yeah. Uh, so known that as soon as he became president, he kicked the DEA out of, the, out of Bolivia and the United States Embassy of Bolivia. So uh, then you can tell that he's up to something. So, but what he did is he was very smart that he he gained great uh, following as he was a coca leaver. There was, you know, coca grower that was going out there, became a, 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 a congressman and started making a lot of noise about like, hey, why are these people running our country? It, it, it'll be like, you know, in the United States, out of the sudden, the Native Americans, one guy goes up there and becomes really big and makes a lot of noise and says, hey, this is our country. Obviously, it's different in Bolivia because literally 80% or 85% of the population are indigenous. And when I say indigenous, I mean, if you go and Google Bolivian indigenous, they're, you know, from the from the place. They're like, you know, descendants of the Incas or the Aymaras. Uh, and they're people, they're very humble and uh, they're just farmers and, uh, you know, all the, all the kind of stuff. But uh, so I think this guy had a point, you know, that is like, okay, well, we don't get involved more. But then what he did is through populism, he became huge. Yeah. And at the moment uh, that co-inter that was, li- that was be- living in La Paz, there was a lot of mess. There was a lot of political unrest. And one day I was literally sitting at my desk and I hear all this commotion and bombs and everything. I was like, what's going on? And I walk out of the office and I turn to the right and two blocks from where I was, I see that the police has gotten upset with, with the president and they're trying to get into the house where the president is in the government, where he works, to burn it, literally, to turn it on fire. So the wow. president calls the army, right? At the moment was Gonzalo Sanchez de Lozada was the president who took a plane that day, went to Miami, and he's been in Miami since then. So he came here a few months before me and never went back. Uh, he runs away, the army comes, and they literally, I think about 85 or 90 people died that day, two blocks from where I was working. They were wow. shooting each other, they were killing each other. It was, it was called the Feb- blood February, red February, something like that. So when I saw that, I was like, okay, wait a second, time out. I, I, I'm not happy here. So I called my dad and I said, look, look what's happening. I'm not happy. I'm not excited with what I'm doing. What about if I do a master's degree? Because, you know, in Bolivia, when you, when you graduate, you know, you need to start piling up. It's probably similar than here, right? The more you can add to your resume, the better, right? The better job you're going to get. So, right. like, if I go out and I study and come back with a master, I'm probably going to get a better job. And maybe in the private sector, I don't want to work in the government anymore. I'm out of this place. So, he's like, yeah, I think it's a good idea. The country's a mess right now. So, he says, I, when I was young, I studied in a kibbutz in Israel. And he contributed with some sort of invention. He's a chemical engineer. And they were so grateful that they said, you have kids. And he said, that was 81. And he said, yes, I have a one-year-old son. That was me. And, uh, and they said, well, we're so grateful and we love you that when your son's old enough, we like to pay for his studies. And my dad just kind of remembered that. And so he tells me this story. I'm like, dude, it's been 21 years. Yeah. He's like, no, let's go to the Israel embassy. I'm like, okay. So we go there. And we, he goes in there, asks for somebody, and I don't know what he says, and we're sitting there for an hour. Guy comes out, Santiago, calls my, his arms like that. My dad goes and gives him a hug. 
And he says, for sure, we're going to offer him a scholarship. You know, we have an amazing scholarship in a kibbutz in Israel, one of the best ones in, in finance. And I'm like, okay, business administration, marketing, finance, pretty cool. So I'm like, great, I'll take it. When it starts, like, well, it starts in two months. I'm like, yeah, I have perfect timing and everything. Okay, let's do it. And I'm start filling up the thing. It's like, you want to take it in Hebrew or in English? I'm like, oops. Because <laughs> I literally, obviously, didn't speak Hebrew. And I did not speak one word of English. But, I mean, I knew hello, blue, yellow, you know, like yeah. what you learn in school. And I never pay attention, really, which I, I regret at that point in time. But I guess everything happens for a reason. So I go like, I don't speak any of these languages. The guy is like, why don't you go and learn one of the two? I don't care which one and come back next year and we'll hold it for you. No problem. I'm like, oh, that's very generous. Sure. So then we live with my dad. I'm like, I think I have a limited amount of time to learn. And I need to learn really good English because if I'm going to take a scholarship on finance, I need to really know it. You know, I cannot go to the, you know, two hour nocturnal school for learning English in Bolivia, get out, go and talk to my buddies in Spanish. It was never going to, you know, sink in. Yeah. So I say, I need to do it by immersion. You know, I believe that doing things by immersion is the best way to do it. Uh, so I, I'm talking to my dad, I'm talking to my mom, and my mom says, you know what? I have a cousin that lives in Santa Barbara. Let me call her and see maybe she can help us, you know? So calls my aunt, which I met once when I was three-year-old. Uh, we weren't really close. And she says, oh, yeah, sure. He can come and crash in my couch for eight months. So that's where it all started, you know. I like I embarked in this life basically that has become now. I did had only two hundred and twenty dollars. Two hundred and twenty. Two twenty. I had my suitcase with whatever clothes I have. You know, I'm at, I just finished college, right? So I had like jeans, shorts, tennis, and whatever. Uh, and I remember she sent a letter because I had a I had a visa, but they they they. In Miami, when you land in Miami, funny enough, the Latinos, the Cubans, that they are American now, they give Latinos a harder time to get in than anyone else. Because every time that I tried to get in the United States and I had an American, nice, look at the thing, boom, no problem. But every time I had a Latino that was in there, it's like, so where you go in, there's like this number of questions to make you nervous. Right. So I, my aunt sent me this letter, which she said exactly where she lives, Santa Barbara. Da, da, da. So, so the guy opened the letter, I, I gave it to him, right? Because I didn't speak. And the guy, I know the guy speaks Spanish, but he's only speaking in English to me. And I don't understand anything. So I'm like, here. And he looks at it. He's like, oh, Santa Barbara. Very nice. Okay, go in, go in. So I, I go in. And this is what's funny, though, because in my mind, I've only been in the U.S. a couple of times. I was in Miami when I was 13 in Orlando. I went to Disney, Disney World in there. And when I was 20, I went to visit an ex-girlfriend in Maryland and D.C. That was it. I don't know much about the United States. So you could have told me you're going to Santa Barbara or Kansas City. You didn't know the difference. Or Kansas City, but just extreme, I wouldn't know the difference. I was just happy to be getting in. So she picked me up at LAX. It was like three in the morning, dark. We drive to Santa Barbara. We're driving an entire coast to get to Santa Barbara. And it's dark. I don't know if the ocean is there. I don't know anything. I'm tired. I get to the couch. I pass out and I wake up the next day. And I literally get up and I'm like, you know, when you wake up in a place and you don't know where you are. Yeah. I'm like, what, what? And I turn around and I'm like literally one block from the ocean in Summerland in California. And I'm like, wow. So I like literally put my prayer shirt and I run to the beach and I'm like, this is amazing because we don't have ocean in Bolivia. You know, we're landlocked. So for me, and I'm a very water 
you know, person. So for me, that was a big novelty to be able to walk to the ocean. And now I'm going to be living here for eight months. How fun, right? Yeah. That's kind of like how you want me to go back and, and how everything started. That's how everything started, you know? And yes, I did run out of those 220 bucks really quick. And yes, I did ask my aunt and she said, go and get a job. And I was like, what do you mean? What I'm going to work at? And she's like, let me take you around. So we went to drop some, uh, applications in restaurants and obviously I wasn't really thrilled about working in a restaurant because it was not part of what I did or anything, nothing that is wrong about it. And I think it's one of the most amazing experiences I had in my life. Wouldn't I work at a restaurant? I wouldn't understand so good people now when I see them. I mean, I worked for in the restaurant probably for close to five years, even as I was doing real estate. And uh, I, I learned how to read people, you know, I mean, I was serving tables, multiple tables to Cheap people, generous people, rude people, nice people, friendly people, negative people, sad people. So you kind of like learn how to like, you get to the table and you just kind of know and you need to become a chameleon, right? On how to like, I'm going to talk to this person this way. I'm going to talk to this person this way. And kind of like that was a practice to me now in the real estate business that when I meet a client or I'm showing a house, you don't go and open a door. I'm like, hey, how are you? This is the living room. This is the dining room. This is That's not how you show houses, right? So now... First, when I get a name of a showing, I study the person, I looked at online, I know who they are, I know at least what, what age they are and everything. So by the time they get to the house, I'm prepared to give a different tour to that person, right? So I custom my tours, like, oh, this guy's a car collector, let's go to the garage. Right. Uh, you know, you kind of have to, you know, become a chameleon, you know, and I wouldn't go in the restaurant, probably I wouldn't, you know, learn that skill. Yeah, I had the same experience. I bartended for, I bartended in college in Boston and I bar back there, bartended there. Then I bartended and waited tables in New York City and I bartended for a long time. And I always tell young actors, you know, whatever your sideline gig is, you need to pay attention because that, if you actually try to be present in that job, it'll help you with acting or in your case with real estate, because it's, it's reading people. I, I completely agree. It was like, uh, for me, I thought of it as like I had characters coming into the establishment where I worked every night. And right. sometimes, you know, you'd hear people, you know, people get drunk and they're standing at the bar. They tell you their dreams, but they're not living their dreams. You'd see people get in fights. You'd see people hit on girls. You'd see, you know, all of it. You saw all of it. It was a microcosm of humanity. So I I completely relate to you there uh sorry to interrupt so okay so you do like that. that amazing actually i love your 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 thing because it's almost like it's almost like uh, watching mini mini stories right mini movies you know it's like oh, yeah here and then you go there and it's like oh this couple is getting in a fight and then you see in the back other you know it's like amazing it really is it really is and and the bar you know i waited tables and i bartended and they're slightly different because with the bar you're you're kind of the safe haven. So sometimes people will come to you or on a slow night, people just want to come in. They need to talk to someone and there's no one else in there. And there you go. You're like a therapist slash coach slash confidant. You know, some of them, they may never see you again. Some of them come in all the time. And and then waiting tables was slightly different because they were doing their thing and you're kind of dropping in on them and serving them. And then they're going on their way. So you get to know them, but maybe not quite as much, unless they're a regular. Right, know? right, right. Um, so, yeah, so, no, absolutely. I mean, uh, I. By the way, to to just confess, I was I wanted to be a bartender. Like I was like, 
that's a cool job out of this thing. I mean, you come in here, you don't take really orders from anyone. You kind of pace yourself. Like that was the place. You have you have, you have your environment there. Nobody comes in here. You get in, you know what I'm saying? It's like I I used totally to watch yeah. that I went and the bartender was like. But then I was like. I need to train to become a bartender and I was going to need to learn. And I didn't have the time to go and have another learning period that I yeah. just stick to what I was doing, but uh, I would love to. Yeah, it was, it was fun. So, so you do that and, and are you at the one restaurant and that's where you end up meeting Kyle or did you bounce yeah, around? So it's a restaurant in Montecito, you know, I mean, gratefully my aunt knew that area so well and she lived in Montecito before that, you know, she said, if, if you're going to work doing this, go to the better place. So I ended up walking and I remembered exactly the day I got out of the car. I walked in and this guy came out. He was a Brazilian guy and he was the GM for 20 years for this restaurant called Cava in Montecito on Coast, Coast Village Road, right across a couple blocks up from Lucky's. You know Lucky's? I think Lucky's, I think that's the place that has the, the best uh, Bloody Marys I've ever had in my life. Uh, is yeah, that is that yeah. like a little place with like the, the like bartenders there are like established older guys like yes. dressed up? Yeah. I, yes. Yeah. So it's, it's right there basically, which is like the most expensive area, right? So this Brazilian guy comes out and uh, I'm like, hey, I want to drop an application. I don't know whatever I said in, in English well, as much as I could. And he looks at me, he's like, you speak Spanish? And I'm like, yes. And he starts speaking Spanish with me. Perfect. And I'm like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm like happy, right? And he's like, where are you from? He's like, I'm from Brazil. And I'm like, yeah, I follow Portuguese too, porque I speak Portuguese too. So we kind of connected and he said, what do you what do you need? I'm like, I'm, I'm just moving. I'm looking for a job. And he's like, do you speak English? I'm like, no, I don't. He's like, well, how about busboy? And I'm like, what's a busboy? And he laughed and he's like, you know what a busboy is. So this guy, Andre, was a manager. He liked me. He said, look, Two pair of black pants, this color of shirt, my aunt's in the wind. It's like, no problem. Takes me to Nordstrom's, buys me the uniform. He's like, I'll see you tonight. So I got the job and I'm like now literally cleaning tables, picking up stuff. That's all I'm doing. I'm not talking and I'm like learning and I'm listening. And at the same time, I'm going to this free school uh, for adults, right? ESL, English as a second language. So I'm going to, to learn English and literally for the first month, it was exhausting because I really was making an effort. And what was great about my aunt, which at the time I thought she was being tough on me, but I'm glad. And am I well allowed to cuss in this thing or not? Yeah, say whatever you want. Okay, great. Because I, I express myself a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> so she goes and says, today is the last day I'm going to speak in Spanish with you. I'm only going to speak English with you. I'm like, really? Why? I mean, you're the only person I have, you know? And she's like, that's it. And I'm like, what a bitch, man, you know? But now I'm like so grateful because literally she cut Spanish. I cut communications with everybody in Bolivia, all my friends, chat. At the time, the MSN, whatever, chat group, all that. The only thing I did is talk to my parents and my sister, you know, once a week, whatever. Um, and then in the restaurant, and I was exhausted, you know. I, will, I remember just to take the bus to this. The, the thing was like about an hour bus ride, the school. And three or four times I passed out in the drive back and I woke up in Carpinteria. I was like, ah, oh, take from Carpinteria back to Santa Barbara because... You know, when you use your brain and you're exhausted learning a new language, at least for me, the experience was like I was physically also tired. Yeah. But I did that for about four months, I want to say. And then I literally felt like I was speaking. I was talking to my aunt and she's like, you're doing good. And I was communicating now. So I went to this guy, Andre, 
the manager of the place and I'm like, Andre, you know, I would love to, to be able to wait tables now. Can you upgrade me? Because I mean, I think I can communicate now and I'm talking to the guys like, yeah, you're actually doing good. No problem. I'll give you a few tables. And then if you're good, better this. So he trained me and I became a waiter, right? Where instead of making $25, $30 a, a, a shift, and I was making 80 to 100 and maybe more. Uh, and then I was doing something more enjoyable because I was like, you know, I'm a social person. So I was like talking to people, meeting people and doing this and doing that. So I did that for about another additional eight months and it was fun, right? I mean, I'm in Montecito. I mean, there's a lot of college students and I was meeting guys. I was meeting girls. I was becoming friends and I was going in dates. So it was, it was like a, this, you know, it was the Bolivian waiter where, you know, now people, they were there, they're the, the people, what do they call it? The, the, the customers, customers, the customers, they normally kept the regulars. Yeah. Knew me like, okay, there was a group of guys that used to come on their Ferraris and park right in the front and sit at the bar on Saturdays around four o'clock, drink mojitos, cool guys in their freaking 38, 40s, well, my age now, I guess, uh, older at the time for me, but super cool guys. And they were like, hey, we're doing a party in our house, like wealthy guys, you wanna come? And I got invited to those kind of parties. But that also opened up my eyes to a, to a different thing that I was never exposed, right? I was always ambitious, I always liked cars, I always liked this, but sitting in this restaurant where I had the pleasure to wait on Oprah, Brad Pitt, Kevin Costner, they will come here to this place quite often. For me, that was like, you know, start freaking shock, right? Because in Bolivia, yeah. it's like, oh, it's a big deal, right? It's like, oh my God. And, and I'm, I'm leaving that at the same time, I'm looking at all these cars and all this money. And I literally felt like I walk outside and I see $100 bills in the air, you know? So you really awaken this ambition and this, this you know, vision of like, you know what? I, I love that. I mean, I want, I, like now, now the idea of going and studying a master's degree and traveling and going back to Bolivia started becoming less attractive. And it was more like, how can I manage to stay here? I really like this place, you know? I mean, it's beautiful. Uh, so that kind of happened at the same time. And then about eight months down the road, you know, it, there was always cute girls coming on the table and I was obviously 23 single. So the bus boys would be like, hey, I was kind of like the guy that the bus was like, do you see table four? Do you see table five? Yeah. One day, one of these bus boys comes and says, and I remember I worked the morning shift. I was there for breakfast and around one o'clock, I'm leaving or two o'clock. I take out my apron. I done my numbers. I printed my receipts and I'm about to close. And the guy comes, dude, you gotta, you gotta go and take table five. I'm like, dude, I'm done. Give it to Matt. I'm done. I'm done. It's like, you gotta just look at it. At least you gotta look at it. I'm like, okay, I go and look. So I have my apron in my hand like this. And I walk outside uh, this the restaurant on the outside table, and there is two blonde girls and two guys sitting on the table, drinking wine. And I looked at Kyle, my wife, and I'm like, "Yep, I'm taking the table." <laughs> I put my apron back on, and I checked all in, and I take the table, and that's how I met her. You know, we waited on her table, and we talked for a little bit, and obviously, you know. You know, she she will tell you this, like it didn't cross her mind that, you know, something like that was going to happen because she's living in L.A. By the way, the four people were her sister, Kyle, her brother and the sister's husband. It couldn't be her husband because I didn't know, but I didn't really care. I was saying right. it was so taken by it. I just wanted to be exposed to waiting that table to see her closely and kind of as long as I could, that would be enough. And the sisters uh, started like throwing jokes, you know, they have a few drinks and then I, I would go and bring chips or something and I was walking out and the sister would be like, he's cute. And she would be like, shh, like that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. So I kind of know now that they think I'm cute. So I'm like all excited. 
Uh, and then they're about to pay the bill and I go like, oh shit, she lives in LA, she's visiting the dad. If I don't get her number, I might never see her again, right? And, and I was okay with that. I did not like that portion of it. So I was like, I gotta do something. So sure enough, it's, it's, it's an afternoon where those guys are sitting in the bar. And Cal gets up, and oh my wife's beautiful. She walks through the bar to go to the bathroom. They already pay the bill. I'm like, she's going to the bathroom to leave. If I don't catch her there, it's over. I go all the way past the bar, and the guys looked at me. It's like, where's this guy going? Well, first of all, I'm seeing the guys look at her, right? They're all turning around and talking about it. And I'm walking behind, and I go and stand literally at the end of the bar outside the bathroom. And she walks out, and she looks at me, and she's like, hi. And I literally said, look, I really, really like you. I think that uh, I wouldn't forgive myself if I don't ask you for your number. And I love to be and hang out in an environment where I'm not waiting on you just to learn and get to know you a little bit more. And, and, uh, and this is my super broken English. And she will confirm this, right? And I just like, it can be in a public place. If you want to come with your sister and, and your friends, I'm not, I'm not a creepy guy. All I want is just to talk to you a little bit more. You know, I think you're amazing and whatever I said at the moment. And she looked at me and knowing Cal now that I've been married with her for close to 17 years, she's not a person, she's not a fake person that's going to give you a fake number, right? Because she's very easily could have rolled anything and then it didn't work. But she didn't feel good about that. And she didn't want to be the bitch and be like, no, thank you. Because that's not her. So she, literally she grabs a napkin, writes her number, gives it to me, says bye. I say, I'll call you. She leaves. And these four dudes in the bar look at me and they go, what the fuck did you do? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. So that was the beginning of, of our relationship. You know, I called her and I think for the beginning she was like, sure, I'm at my dad's house. I'm busy right now. She was like really not interested on in hanging out. Right. And I could hear the sister in the back was more interested. Like, tell him to come over. And I was like, yeah, invite me. And she'd be like, okay, I'll call you tomorrow. Maybe let's talk tomorrow. And hang up. By the third day, I was like, whatever, right? I'm going to call one more time. I remember calling. She didn't answer. I left a message and I was like, look, all I wanted is to hang out with you. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to weird you out or whatever, but uh, you know, it was great to meet you. Blah, blah, blah. Bye. I go out with my friends to State Street. We're drinking. We're out Saturday night or whatever. And my phone rings and she calls and she happens to be next door. And I just get up, went next door and then we connected there. And the next day she was leaving. I was playing soccer. I remember it's like, come watch me play soccer before you leave. She's like, sure, I'll try to stop by. And Ventura I was playing soccer with some Colombian and Venezuelan friends that I met. Uh, but she didn't. She left. And then I think a couple months went by. And one day a friend of mine's like, oh, my cousin it says, let's go. I'm going to Hollywood. Let's go to a big party. I'm like, yeah, let's go to Hollywood. So we jump in the car. We're driving here. And as I'm driving, I'm like, oh, I'm going to call that girl Kyle. So I called her and she was with friends in a much mood of kind of meet. And she's like, where are you going to be? I'm going to be here. So she comes to the party and I wasn't crazy about that party. It was a little too out of control. And, and I'm like, can we go somewhere else? He's like, yeah, I'll pick you up. Let's go somewhere. So she took me, we went somewhere else and then we kissed and then the whole romance started when I, I was driving from Santa Barbara to LA literally every weekend on Fridays, I would take the Amtrak because I actually didn't have a car. So I would take the Amtrak on Fridays, she picked me up from the station in downtown. She used to own a clothing manufacturer in downtown, so it was right there. We'll have this romance story for the weekend, do everything, and then uh, 
on Sunday, she will drive me every Sunday all the way to Santa Barbara and drop me off and then come back. So wow. we did that for a while. And then my time of being on the couch kind of ran out, and, you know, and then in my other, my other life is like, okay, my parents are like, when are you coming back? Do you learn English? And my aunt's like, you know, time's up. How so, far into the, how far into your your United States trek is this? A year? Are you still in the first this year? Is, or is this, this is a year now. I mean, the eight okay. months my aunt extended it. You know, she was kind yeah. enough to. I mean, and I was not a bad yeah. person, so she was enjoying two company, whatever. Yeah. So it's a year. I'm a year in, and I decide to make a move to LA because I said, look, I mean, I'm definitely not going back to Israel. I don't know if I'm going back to Bolivia sometime. But I really like this girl. I'm in love. And when you're in love, that's all that matters, really. I mean, you don't care about anything else. Uh, and I said, you know, if she lives in L.A., uh, if I'm going to stay here, um, L.A. is a better, bigger, more opportunities. I'm just going to move to L.A. And I moved here. Uh, we moved in together immediately. We got engaged six months later. And we got married two months after, nine months later. Like, wow. Two months after that, we got engaged three months after. So fairly quick. Uh, uh, and we've been married since then. So as that happened, I started to think, uh, oh, by the way, I want to I wanna go back for a second because this is important. The guy at this restaurant that hired me, his name was Andre Monlero, became a friend. He was a great guy. He was the manager. And, you know, he we kept in touch. I used to go back to Santa Barbara all the time to visit Kyle's father and my aunt, and we'll go to the restaurant now and eat and meet him, whatever. He calls me about three years ago and says, Santiago, I moved to LA. I got my real estate license. Can you help me? And now he works for my company. Like he worked for me. So we went full wow. circle with that guy, right? My cousin, who is the guy that said when I, when I was sometimes partying and I, my aunt had a son that I met, he used to take me out. And I sleep in his apartment sometimes. I wake up and he'll be in the computer and his laptop for like literally two hours make 15, 20 grand, and then he goes surfing all day. I'm like, what the hell do you do? I'm like, I'm busting my ass making 120 bucks a day. Should I do that? And he's like, yeah, if you want to, you just got to get a license. I'm like, what does it take? He's like, you take a license and uh, uh, you can use loans. You do loans. You know, this is what I do. He's playing, but it's, it's kind of numbers and boring. I don't know if you have a personality that with the same license, you can do real estate. And I'm like, what's real estate? And he goes, you know what real estate is? Like, no. And he's like, look at your translator and look, look at my, oh, okay, yeah, that's, that's real estate. But really real estate? Because in Bolivia, like real estate was not really in the top of the list of the careers that I wanted to do, right? It's like, yeah. really real estate? And that's the guy that finds the house. Um, so I started looking into it. And then when I moved to LA, I'm like, okay, I can't be waiting tables the whole time. Now I have a wife and we want to build a life. Real estate. So, but before that, I actually, I translated all my degrees into an equivalent of English to be able to go and apply for jobs. So I started dropping resumes to different companies, sales companies, insurance companies, whatever. And they're making me offers. And I'm like, I make double waiting tables and cash and, uh, and less hours. And, you know, and then I'm like, yeah, but you know, there's a future here. So what's the future then? And I start analyzing. I'm like, okay, so if I work for this company, who is the CEO? And who, is, who are the top executives? And how long will it take me to get there? And how much money that I make? So I'm looking at these companies, okay, 250 grand, 400 grand, 350 grand. And I go, 
just had curiosity. Let's look at real estate. And I go on like real estate and I'm looking at the top agents in LA and I see, oh, this guy's making a million five. This guy's making a million two. I'm like, seems like the real estate sky is the limit, which it really is, you know? I mean, you yeah. can make a hundred thousand if you want to, or you can make 10 million if you want to. Uh, and one of the other amazing things I mean, to me in, in, in this business that really get me passionate about it. It's not just this, obviously I love the sale. I love the deal and I love representing clients, but what's amazing is, is really for me, at least has been a vehicle to do other things, you know, meeting great people. Like I met through real estate, my partner on my development company. Now I own a development company and I do high end spec homes with a partner that I met wouldn't be for real estate. I wouldn't be exposed to that. Wouldn't be for real estate. I wouldn't learn the experience on what to develop, how to develop a house and know the markets and where to buy and what to build. Uh, I met another guy that I'm invested on an insurance company. Now I'm, you know, I'm an equity partner on an insurance company through real estate. And then like all these opportunities, they open it up because in the, in the, in the world that I'm living and the, the people that I'm selling houses and I'm representing, they're all top tier people. They're all owners of companies. They're all these, they're all that. So I get exposed to, to them, you know, and to opportunities. And, and and some of them are really generous and nice and they bring it up to you. It's like, hey, you are, will they be interested in doing this? Will you be interested in investing on this? Well, what do you oh. think it is though? Because, because I, I mean, I have a theory, but I want to hear from you. Those people that have opportunities to give out, they're not just giving them out to somebody just to be a nice person. They obviously have seen something in you, whether it's worth work ethic or or how you deal with people, uh, maybe kindness, maybe just personality and charm. I don't know. What do you think it is that's given you the access to people with opportunities? Because a lot of your story, as I hear it, it, it ends up being relationships, which is, you know, not uncommon for a lot of people I'll sit down with. It's, uh, you know, people think, oh, it's the X's and O's. Yes, it is. But it's also... How do you relate to people and do people feel like you're there with a good heart? And then they go, oh, I, I want to help this guy out. Oh, he doesn't speak English. I want to help him out. I'm going to give him a job because he hustles. Or what, what is it that you, what, what is it that you think kind of has helped you progress from coming here, you know, not knowing the language uh, to where you are today? What are some of the skills you think you have or strengths you have? Yeah. So... Uh, to me, and this is just my opinion, and everybody's entitled to one, right? I think it's a combination of things. Uh, just to get it out of the out of the window, work ethic, you know, and anything that you want to do, anything you want to achieve in life, every book, uh, podcast, video from the Michael Jordan last, uh, you know, last the dance. Dance yeah. to. Kobe Bryant's muse to everything that you look from athletes to entrepreneurs or anything, people like to look at, at people that are successful, that they are benefiting of the success and they're being rewarded, right? People that are successful are being rewarded for work that most people have not seen, right? So they see this and they see oh, Michael Jordan and the rings and this and that, but nobody's seen the hours and years of hard work, training, diet, who knows what these guys went through to get that because they're so, you know, uh, the, the, it's the work that. So just to put out the window, like in anything in life or anything you want to achieve in any craft world or whatever, 
you got to put the work. If you don't put the work, it's just not going to happen. You need to outwork everybody else. If someone is doing what I'm doing, you need to outwork them. In hours, you just got to work it, you know, and you got to work smart too. So that's one element that I believe 100%. And that's something that I've done for sure, put the hours, okay? And I still do. Uh, from a more spiritual point of view, because I'm a very spiritual person and I do a lot of talks about this too, and, you know, I have a YouTube channel and uh, we talk a little bit about this, is you need to be happy where you are in order to be happy where you want to be. And a lot of people think you're going to be happy once you get there, once you have the house, once you have the car, once you have this. And it's been proven that if you're not happy with where you are and what you have right now, most likely you won't be happy once you have everything else because it needs to come from inside. So uh, if you understand who you are and know what you want and have the ability to wake up every morning and spring out of bed as opposed to drag yourself out of bed. And if you can be excited with your life and be like, I can wait until tomorrow to have another amazing day. In order to do that, sometimes it, it takes practice, it takes exercises, it takes things that you need to do to develop that way. I wasn't like that. Uh, you know, as I get into the real estate world, uh, I was very frustrated. I was like, I'm not from here. I don't know anyone. I don't, I cannot say I don't speak the language anymore because I do, but it's not great. But I don't have college friends, high school friends, relatives, not nobody, right? I mean, I lay a new person as who you sell houses to. So you have to start from scratch. Uh, and what scratch means, like door knocking, you know, meeting people and exposing yourself. But if I need to be working double shifts, which I did in the restaurant to be able to have food on the table, in what time I want to meet more people. And by the way, the people that you're meeting at the restaurant, you cannot go and be like, hey, how can I get you to eat? And by the way, here's my real estate license. It doesn't work that way. You know, it's like people are going to be like, well, what would I hire you as opposed to the guy that is doing it for real, right? Right, right. So you have that. I was super frustrated. For the first year, I did not sell anything. I was like so mad. I was like so disappointed. And I sat one day and I just literally put to the universe my frustration. I said, it's got to be someone out there that has come here and has gone through a similar situation and has made it happen. And it's kind of released that, you know, to the universe. Sure enough, somehow I meet a real estate agent guy. We're talking and he says, you, from believing your accent, you got to meet this guy, Rodrigo Iglesias, you know, I mean, you know him. I'm like, no, who is that? He's this Argentinian guy that came here with 400 bucks, moved 20 years ago, and now he's the king of real estate in LA. I mean, he's at the top of the chain. I said, like, great, thanks for the tip. I go online and start like looking at the guy. I'm like, oh shit, look at his website. He says, and he has all these listings. I'm like, wow, I want to meet this guy. I'm excited. So I'm starting looking for the guy. I called the guy, I emailed the guy. For three months, I chased the guy. And the assistants, you know, were like, yeah, I'll tell, tell him he is that nobody ever. And I get it now because I get bombarded also with a lot of emails and, and my assistants probably with calls of people. They want to come and talk to me and meet me a coffee and this and that. And I... I do a lot of it because I've been in that situation, but the reality is like the reason why I started to do seminars in the Skirable Center uh, to, to real estate agents or to talk online or to do the Zooms, I started a new uh, thing through the coronavirus called How to Navigate Through the Storm that I put in my YouTube channel because that way I can reach to more people because I can't have enough coffees a day to meet so many people as much as I want to meet and I want to give them advice. It's just too much, right? And I'm super busy. So... Guy blows me off for like three months, and one day I get a call. I'm literally driving to this really expensive restaurant, which was the last restaurant that I work at. 
And it was a restaurant that was a French high, super high-end restaurant called L'Orangerie. It was on La Cienega. It was a restaurant that was open for over 30 years. And I don't think there is a restaurant in LA right now like that, unfortunately, because the guy retired close. He was old. But it was the epitome of like luxury, beautiful experience. But we would get like four or five tables a night. So for one, you know, you'll have one or right. two waiters or three. For me not to show up was a big deal. Right. Guy calls, uh, the assistant calls, is like, hey, this is Santiago. I'm like, yes, Mr. Iglesias can meet you in half an hour in Brentwood. And I'm driving from my house in Los Feliz all the way down to, about to make a left to La Cienega on Sunset and La Cienega. And it's one of those moments. And also this is important. You, that's why it's important that spiritually you need to be connected with yourself, with God, with the higher self, with the universe, with the energy. And I'm going to elaborate a little bit more on that uh, if we have the time. Uh, that in that moment, you need to make a decision. It's like, oh, sorry, I can't right now. I'm going to work or this is the opportunity. You got to take it. So I called the restaurant. I'm like, guys, I can make it. I'm really sick. I don't know what happened. I think I have food poisoning. I make up this story. And I just continue to go sunset all the way to Brentwood. And I go and I'm in Brentwood right now. And there was a restaurant down here. That I'm looking at it right now. That used to be Gaucho Grill. And he says, meet me at Gaucho Grill. Uh, in half an hour. It's great. So I come here, I see the gaucho grill. It's four o'clock. There's no one in the restaurant. I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. An hour goes by and nothing. That guy, that guy doesn't show up. Uh, so this I see as tests the light puts in your bed. You know, this is like, you know, those kind of things. And I had multiples, you know, and I'm not know about this yet because I haven't read the books, you know, that prepare me to now be prepared when something happens, I'm ready. And I, I take things differently. But at the time I was, and I was like, pissed. I was like, fuck this guy, man, freaking restaurant. And like, I'm pissed, right? I'm leaving the restaurant and he calls me and he's like, Santiago. I'm like, who's this? He's like, this is Rodrigo Iglesias. I'm like, Hey, how are you? He's like, I'm so, 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 so sorry. He apologized profusely. He's like, look, I'm not going to lie to you. And then I got to know him and he wasn't a liar. He was a huge heart, amazing guy. He's like, I'm not going to lie to you. I was waiting for you to make in time because his office used to be across the street. And I lie on my couch in my office and I fell asleep and I forgot. It's the truth. What are you going to do? I was like, I understand, you know, but I have my job. And he's like, but let me make it up to you. Are you available for lunch tomorrow? Let me buy you lunch. I'm like, great. Same restaurant. We came here. I walked in, and as soon as I walked in, he says, hi, how are you? Very nice. And he says, before we start, I don't need an assistant. I don't need a helper. I have four assistants. I just want to be clear about it. I said, wait a second. And at this point, he's from Argentina, so we're speaking in Spanish, and we connected. And I'm like, I don't need anything from you other than advice. This is where I am. I see where you are. Obviously, you figure it out. I need you to help me with just advice. That's all I want. So the guy liked that, sat down, we talked. He gave me a book which is here. So he handed me a book that is called The Science of Getting Rich, right? Uh, but he gave me the book, actually not that day, the day after. So, so we said that we talk and then and I'm like, I'm door knocking, people are slamming the door in my face, I'm doing this, not working, I'm doing that's not working, and on top of that, I'm working so hard, I don't have time, I don't know anyone. I'm like complaining, 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 complaining. And he's listening, listening, listening. He's like, can you walk to my office? I'm like, yes. So we walk to the office and he gives you the book and says, read this book and when you're done, call me back. And I'm like, oh shit, I pissed off the guy. Gives you the book and I go to my house and I'm reading this book and I'm learning this concept. So it's not what you do, it's how you do it. It's the attitude in life that gets you to places. 
you know, and we kind of circling back to what is it that makes a difference for these people to want to give me those opportunities is because every morning when I wake up, I have my routine. You know, I woke up at 4.30, I meditate, I visualize, I go to the gym, I do not look at my phone or anything until I'm out of the gym at 7 a.m. in the morning, okay? Uh, why? Because if you wake up and jump into your phone and you wake up literally, which a lot of people do, and they open their eyes and open their phone, and if I have a text message from a client with bad news or something indesirable, that's going to ruin your day. That's going to set the tone for your entire day. You're going to wake up, and then it's going to be like a snowball of bad things. You're going to trip on your way to the bathroom. Your son's going to be sick. Something like that's going to happen, right? So if you wake up, like I wake up, and uh, you are alone, right? The reason why I wake up so early is because that's the time that nobody's distracting me. And you meditate and you you write gratitude phrases. You you visualize of where you want to be in 10 years from now. Now you're setting yourself, you're priming, like Tony Robbins says, you prime yourself for the day. You prepare yourself. You give in to yourself. You're happy. You're grateful. Now I'm going to go to the gym and now I'm, my endorphins kick in. Right? I'm exercising. I'm feeling good about myself. I'm listening to some sort of audio book or some YouTube motivational speech or something. By the time seven o'clock I'm done with the gym comes in, I'm ready to take the world. Right. So when I go and meet these people, right? When I go and meet this client, when I go door knocking into someone's doors and they open the door, I'm supposed to be like, hey, my name is Santiago. Here's my business card. If you ever think about selling your house, give me a call. Yeah. To the trash, like another yeah. hundred that came before, right? But if you present yourself to that person, with that energy, right? If you meet people, I have people that have come to me and be like, I don't know why, but I just want to give you my house for sale because it's your energy. I heard that so many times where like, it's not weird anymore, you know, it's true. So I think we all have the ability to do that. If you have the ability to give to yourself and put yourself in a good place, that energy is going to get out there and people are going to be attracted to it. People are going to feel like, this guy's freaking awesome. He's got the energy to sell our house. He's so positive. We enjoy being with, you know, obviously it's not just about that. You need to know your craft. You yeah. need to prepare yourself. You need to you know, know your market. You need to know your numbers. But I think it's super important to be in a peace and energetic place where people pick up on that energy. So if you are like this and the, if you, and you got to trade again, I mean, they, they told you the story about the book and Rodrigo and all this, because I wasn't in, in, in I didn't know about this concept. Right. And then I read Think and Grow Rich and then the movie, The Secret came out and I watched the movie. And I remember crying watching the movie. I'm like, why nobody told me this before? Yeah. Why no one How old were you at this point? How old were you? Don't You're teach about you 25? In school, instead of teaching you how to hammer a freaking thing or whatever waste of time that they, 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 they give you, you know? Right. Well, how old are you at this point? Like, is this when you meet? At this point, I'm 20... 25-ish? 25, 26. 25, yeah. 26. Because um, anyway. I think you had the seed. It's funny. It's like you had the seeds in you already because you had gotten to where... You know, you've already told me some great stuff that happened to get you there. But then, yeah, that's what it is. It's like now there's levels. So now you meet this guy and now you realize, okay, I'm in this bigger arena and it's not working for me. I've got to dig deeper. I need new tools. And, and I think I think life is kind of like that all the time where you, you don't really graduate. Then you get to a new level and it's all of a sudden there's new challenges. And now, you know, you got to figure that out. So, so 
one of the things that I that I uh, always did, and, and and my wife always mentions this to our friends and people that we know and we meet. While I was working in the restaurants when I moved to LA, I didn't start in the best restaurants, right? I didn't have a restaurant experience either. Because I just, so my resume was like, I work in a Cava restaurant as a busboy and four, five months as a waiter compared to the professional waiters in LA that they've been doing this for 20 years, right? So I couldn't even like, but I went from the bottom restaurant. I started to like, okay, I'm making 80 bucks here. I can make 120 someone else. Next, boom. Boom. And always looking to improve, always looking to go. And like, if I want to do this and I'm going to spend X amount of hours waiting tables, might as well do it in the place where I can get paid the most. And that was kind of my mentality. But I hit the plateau in the restaurant. Like you're saying, now I need to go in this new arena of the real estate. And I'm at the bottom of the fucking pool, right? right. And now I need to go in and I'm getting very frustrated. And I realized that once I change my attitude, and he, you know, I changed my attitude now, literally like magic, I will knock on it and I start getting people interested in doing something with me because you, with a great attitude, your confidence exudes in a different way too, right? They, they see a different person. And, uh, all of a sudden I get a call from one listing that was 1.8. I was like 1.7. I was like, Oh my God, they're interviewing people. They want to interview me. I mean, I need to get it. How can I? So I called Rodrigo. I'm like, Hey, would you come with me? And this was one of the things that I always say to young people is like, don't be greedy. It's better to make 50 cents out of the dollar than nothing. So yeah. I would call this big agent and say, come with me. Let's get it together. We'll split it. No problem. So we did that once. We did that twice. We did that three times. I was working at Keller Williams. I remember he was here in Sotheby's. By the time I sold like 10 million with him, bring him in, he goes, why don't you just come to Sotheby's? It's easier than being in two different companies. Work closely, closely to me sit my open houses and let's build a more business. You know, a year later we became partners. Two years later we were 50, 50% partners. And then uh, for life things that happened and his life went one direction. My life was going in a different direction. Uh, now I'm having kids and this, uh, we, we split it. So we became partners in 2007 and we worked for a couple of years. Uh, in 2009, when Cole was born, my, my second son, uh, we, we split it. And, uh, and then 2009 was a, probably the darkest time of my life uh, for many reasons, personal health and, uh, and, and financially. So became partners with the guy. Uh, 2007, he says, I think you're, you know, because I, I, I really want to drop the restaurant and really focus on real estate, but I couldn't at the point in time. So finally, in 2007, I'm in a place where I save a little money. If I go three, four months without selling a house, it's going to be okay. I have savings. I drop the restaurant. I start to do good. And then 2008 comes up. Wham! Yeah. Literally, you know. Uh, not only that, we kind of start to split a little bit uh, for, again, personal and different reasons. We were going in different directions. Nothing bad. We kept friends. He's an amazing human being, and I'm grateful to him for life. Uh, one of the most generous persons I ever met. Uh, so to taste eight hits and market gets really bad, he kind of lose a little bit of his focus and I'm going to be more focused. Uh, and I start running out of my money, running out of money. I'm like, oh shoot, I have literally $2,000 in my bank account. And I'm like, I, I'm, I mean, it's the crisis and nobody's buying us. The phone's not ringing and I'm not there in a place where 
like if right now a crisis hits, I'm going to be okay because I have enough clientele or someone is going to be doing something. At the time, I didn't right. have that luxury, you know? So I'm like, I'm just going to have to go back to the restaurant. So I get in my car, I fill up applications. I'm literally pull over outside a restaurant in Venice and I'm about to drop the application and something inside me came in and said, like, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was a very interesting, profound spiritual experience for me because it was almost like, I got introduced to the real Santiago. Like I did not know who, what I was made of, or what I was capable to do until the moment, that moment shifted and changed everything. Uh, just to mention briefly that at that moment of my life where it was so dark, uh, we had a second kid with, with Kyle and she got really bad complications and had, was, was victim of malpractice and she almost died. And, I remember having a two-year-old, a newborn in my house. Cal was in ICU for like three months. And I have $2,000 in my bank account. And I'm alone, right? I'm, I'm by myself. I have no one to, hey, help me with the kids. My parents couldn't come here because they wouldn't give him a visa to come to the United States. They didn't even come for our wedding. Uh, so in, in the darkest of the moments, I realized that if I was going to sink, my whole family was going to sink and I need to do something about it, right? Um, so it's almost like you get introduced to, the, to that, to your soul that takes charge and says, fuck that, fuck that, waste of time, bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. This is what you need to do and this is how hard you need to work. And I'm sorry, it sucks, but this is the life you got to live and you better suck it up if you want to go through it. It was like clear as water. I got in my car and it's like, what the fuck are you doing? And I drove into my favorite neighborhood at the time, Brentwood Park. And I went door knocking for three hours. I was like, I'm going to get this done, you know? And I, I put that energy to the universe and I was sitting open houses every Saturday, every Sunday. And I was like working so hard and I was like taking care of my family. And I was like, I'm going to get through this. I did. I was really stressed out and uh, my health was also like affected, but I just made my mind and like magic out of the sudden, one call, boom, boom, little money, I have for two months. Another call, and I kind of survive 08, 09, all the way through 10. Around 11, I was a little bit better, where I was just not worrying as much anymore. Cal was good again. Our kids are good. And thank God we applied for a visa, emergency visa. They were allow, allowed my mom to come here. So she helped with the baby and the kids and Kyle in the home so I could go and work. By the time 2012 came back and we started to get out of the recession, my business exploded. Exploded, but that was the first year I made a million dollars in commissions. And from that moment, you just, you know, it's like all the, you look, when you look at a, at a road and, and you need to get to a place, and all of a sudden you see down the road, the, all the, the lights are green. Yeah. That's how, how it's been. That's awesome. I, I, I love it. And it's, it's kind of the theme of this show. Really, the tagline is failure is opportunity. And it's like, it's so it's not shocking to me that you're, you know, it didn't really come together for you or you weren't really forged until, you know, as I say, you're forged in fire. You know, it's, it's like you, you've got to go to those dark places, I think. And when you get through them, that's, that's when you come out the other side and, you know, nobody wants to go to the dark places, but they end up being the best tests. And when you get through them, you know, 
it's it seems like the other side is is you know a lot better than it was uh, you know b- before that. Um, I want to ask you, but well, I, I have three questions for you. I want to be mindful of your time because we're almost at an hour. Um, sure. I, I'm fine. You. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll get, I'll get to the three questions, but before that, I, I just had, you know, I wanted to ask you about the morning routine, which you got into and you already, you, you discussed on your own. Um, wanted to ask you about your biggest no, you kind of just said that. And w- another thing I was wondering was balance. How do you, do you see, because you have a lot, you know, you have a lot of responsibility professionally. You have a lot of people working for you. You have, you know, it sounds like different endeavors. You have a family that you're very involved with. Do you see it as, is it, is it balance or is it you focus, focus, focus. And then the time when you have with your family, that's it's quality over quantity or how do you, how do you, um, kind of manage that all of the things that you have going on, because from the outside, it feels like you do have a lot of things going on and you're doing them all well. And I'm just curious as to some strategy with that. Yeah. So look, uh, I don't think there's a precise answer because I think it's a combination of, for me, at least of everything, you know, there are times where like focus I'm, I'm working and they know it's like, sorry guys, this weekend, I got to work the whole weekend do whatever you need to do. And I'm, I'm working and there's times where I'm with them and I'm just with them. And there's times there's a mix, right? It's like, okay, let's go to dinner, but I might have to take a call. So it's a little bit of a hybrid, but I think that the most easiest way to understand for me, the way how I organize myself is all about time management, right? It's all about literally as easy as scheduling, like putting your schedule, everything day, night, day, night, haircut, meetings, Zoom calls now, that is a new one, right? Uh, It's just about scheduling everything. And I mean, like I schedule everything on my Outlook with my iPhone, right? And if it's there, it's there. And you need to respect that. Obviously, uh, you know, owning a development company and being an owner of of this the agency and running offices and having tons of clients and everything, I sometimes, and my assistant helps, is like, oh, instead of being like, what are we going to schedule? It's like, which one are we going to cancel to feed another one? Right. So there has to be flexibility. But I think when it comes to balance with the family and everything, it's like the family time, the day night, those are non-negotiable, you know? And it's a, it's a little bit hard concept or hard pill to swallow at first because you could say, what if a client calls you and says they want to see a house for a $20 million house at your day night? You know, and you're like, oh, shit, you know, that's a big sale. But I think that I learned that through now the experience and through doing a lot of those deals is like people respect your time. People will respect when you tell them no. It's okay to say no. It's okay to say, dude, I have a life, you know. I'll show you tomorrow. It's not gonna, the house is not going to sell between 7 o'clock on Friday, which is my date night, to Saturday at 9 a.m. It's not going to happen. You know, it's like, yeah. and for the people that don't understand that, I don't respect that. Those are people that I really don't have any interest working with either because if they're not have the ability to respect you as a human being, they has a life, they has a wife, they has a family, then that's not the kind of person that I want to be associated with, you know? So I think you need to learn how to put your times and, 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 and you need to respect your schedule so other people can respect your schedule too. I think yeah. the balance is super important. That's so funny because you kind of preemptively just answered my first 
final question, which is about the word no means what to you. But you, you know, you said what some other people have said, which is it's not, you know, not so much about the no's that you get, but sometimes the no's that you give that, yep. that become powerful. But what I'll ask it anyway, what, what does the word no mean to you really? What, so what is, how do you see when, it? When I'm getting the word no from someone, okay, like, let me show you this house. So, you know, you're, you're hassling to do something and people are saying no, you know, you heard this as cliche, no is yes within, but you know, you have to have a sense of like also perception of, of feeling like, yeah, that's a no that you, sh- you shouldn't push anymore. But to me, no's are yeses. You know, to me, you don't, you don't want to bail at the first no. You know, you need to be persistent. I think people appreciate persistent. And when someone is thinking about selling the house with someone and you've been persistent and you're there, you need to find a way how to do it respectfully. You know, I tell people like, I know this is the 10th email I send you, but I'm very good at following up with people, which will come as a very big asset to you if I'm representing you. Right. Uh, and I want to stop and you tell me to stop. But if you tell me that you have someone or you to stop, I will respectfully stop. But if you're not telling me anything, I'm just going for it, you know? Yeah. And then the other side, yes, you need to learn to say no sometimes. You know, it's important. You need to say no because if you don't have ability to say no, then you become a slave and a victim of other people's lives. Yeah. If you don't say no, then you are at the mercy of other people's opinions, lives, decisions. In order to take control of your life, you need to be able to say no and be comfortable with it. Yeah. What about a mantra? Do you have any mantras like, you know, when you were going through that 2008, 2009 or any other time where you feel like you're completely being slammed by life? uh, Do you have a a go-to mantra that kind of gets you through? I have a few. Uh, One is obviously I I, I adopted it from, from Tony Robbins because I just think it's so, so powerful. And it's life doesn't happen to you, happens for you. And the day that you understand that life happens, you know, for you and not to you, and you start looking at every little thing that happens to you. You're driving, someone crashing to your door, and you can make a big deal about it, or you can just look at the situation the way it is. Why did this happen? Did I need it to be delayed? Maybe I was going to get killed down the road. Maybe this needed to happen for me to test my patience. Maybe the person I crash into it is a, someone that I'm going to meet and I'm going to be friends with. You never know what it is, but when you ask that question every time you're put in a situation and you're frustrated and you don't understand what it is and you can ask yourself, you can remind yourself life's happening for me, not to me, then you'll, the energy of the whole thing changes and you'll look at things differently. You know, that's, that's probably one of the most powerful things I ever heard. And, and to understand that life is a gift, you know, life is a gift that has been given to you and you have the opportunity to do great things every day. And guess what? If things don't go well, there's always another day, you know, mm-hmm. there's always another month, there's always another year. And if you can live life like that, and you know, it's, you're going to evolve into a, into an incredible person. Yeah. I, I love that as well. I think it, it takes you out of the victim mentality. Um, last question, I promise. Um, if you could give your younger self advice, what age would you intervene and what would the advice be? You know, that's an amazing question. I get, I get, I get asked that often, you know, I, have done a few podcasts and people ask that question and I normally don't give the answer that they're expecting to hear because it's like, oh yeah, we'll go when I was 22 and I will say, do this, do that, do that. But the reality is that I believe that, uh, 
if I didn't go through what I gone, if I didn't make the mistakes I made, if I didn't, you know, done all that, maybe I wouldn't be here because, you know, that one thing that you could tell, it might have been taking me in another direction and I could be in a different place right now that is not here. And I'm so happy in the place that I am that if I go uh, in the time machine and yeah. I tell myself a secret, I might be in another place, could be happier or less happier, but I'm so good and comfortable where I am that why would I risk it on saying something to myself? Yeah. It's like, you know, remember the back in the future when, yeah. when the guy has the books of the things, one little thing can change the whole thing, right? So for yeah. me, it's like, you know, uh, that, 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 that question always throws me over a little bit, uh, but uh, I'll, I'll say, you know, if there's one thing that I could go back and give advice is what I told you, is I wish I would have been introduced to this concept a little sooner. Uh, to the concepts of like you can create your life. I think, you know, we as children of the creator of the universe, God, because I believe in God, as children of the creator of the universe, we have the ability to create our own mini universes, right? So if I would learn that we have the ability to create through our mind, you know, I mean, Joe Dispenza, man, God, that guy is a genius. If you can understand that we're all energy and this, you can understand that whatever you want is to go through your mind in order to become reality. If I would have known that five, six years sooner, it would have been awesome. But again, maybe not, you know? So right, that's right. the one thing I sometimes think is like, I wish I would have known that a little sooner. Yeah. Well, you're not alone. I, that is a trick question. I always say it's a trick question for that reason that you, you know, if you you wouldn't be where you are right now if you change things. But also I say it's a trick question because that 22 year old or 16 year old or whatever would probably not listen to you anyway. Right. <laughs> so, sure. you know what I mean? If they weren't ready to receive something, uh, they're not going to, they're not going to take it in at that time anyway. But yeah. Santiago, thank you so much. I, I really enjoy talking to you and I'm so happy for all your success. And, and just more than that, as you can see from my questions, it's, I, it, you know, you talked about energy and it's funny. That's why I asked you to do this was it, it wasn't really what you had or what you've done. It was more an energy of, I just appreciate that kind of uh, exuberance. So thanks, man. Appreciate of course, it. No, thank you so much for having me here. I'm so flattered. This is awesome. I listened to a bunch of your podcasts are great. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be on that one. That's freaking awesome. So I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Matt. I hope to see you soon. And uh, yeah. thanks again. And this has been great. What we do here is go back, 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 back. All right. I hope you dug that conversation as much as I did. It is time for my top three takeaways. Here we go. Number one, you can do anything you set your mind to. But as I said in my book, if you want to take the island, you got to burn the boats. You can't give yourself the option to retreat once you pull the trigger. And that is exactly how Santiago began to make it happen for himself in America. Literally, she cat. Spanish. I cut communications with everybody in Bolivia, all my friends, chat at the time, the MSN, whatever chat group, all that. The only thing I did is talk to my parents and my sister, you know, once a week, whatever. Number two, I say this all the time, do the work, do the work, do the work. It just sounds a lot cooler when Santiago says it. People that are successful are being rewarded for work that most people have not seen. 
right? So they see this and they see, oh, Michael Jordan and the rings and this and that, but nobody's seen the hours and years of hard work, training, diet, who knows what these guys went through to get that because they're so, you know, you got to put the work. If you don't put the work, it's just not going to happen. Number three, find your people. You need a mentor. You need like-minded warriors, people that are on the same path as you. And as Santiago explains it here, you need to find someone who has already blazed a similar path to the one you want to travel down. As my past guest, Sharon Srivatsa would say, you need to buy speed by asking someone who's been where you want to go. Just literally put to the universe my frustration. I said, it's got to be someone out there that has come here and has gone through a similar situation and has made it happen. And it's going to release that, you know, to the universe. All right, folks, that is it for today. I hope you enjoyed this. If you did, please share it with your friends and family. Put it on social media. Give us a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Anything you can do to help spread the news of the show, we appreciate it. Go to 10,000nos.com and check it out. If you want to be a part of the insiders community I mentioned before the uh, conversation, go to 10,000nos.com and you'll see the insiders community tab. You can go there, uh, see if you want to get involved in some way, shape or form. Feel free to email us, sign up for the newsletter, all that jazz. And uh, remember, we have these solo episodes, the mini solos on Monday, Monday morsels. Uh, We've got the newsletter that comes out on Monday, and then we've always got these longer form interviews on Friday. So uh, come back and we will have someone else great for you next week. This this wagon keeps on rolling. So um, thanks again for being here and uh, enjoy the rest of your day and week and month and year and life.